welcome to Real Rap with Reynolds Teacher Talk with your host, C.J. Reynolds. All right, uh, I'm going to jump right into this. So this evening's guest is someone I'm really excited to talk about. I mean, like, the, the great thing about having your own show is you only get to invite people that you're actually excited about. So it's it makes it fun every week. So... My guest is Alex Kajitani. Uh, many of you educators have already heard of him. If you've seen him on YouTube, he's done TED Talks. He's been on CBS's Evening News. He's written a number of books, including Owning It. And he is known as the Rapid Mathematician. He was California's Teacher of the Year. And so he is my guest this evening. If you have questions, you can go ahead and start in the comments section below. Or if you're on you now, you can leave them right in the side. And we'll get to all those questions. Uh, but I'm going to guest him in. We're going to we're going to kick this off. Alex. Hey, yeah, how how's it going? Good, good. How are yourself? I'm I'm doing great. I'm a little sweaty. I just came in from playing Nerf Wars outside with my kids. But uh, but other than that, you know, we're good. We're good over here. Hey, um, very nice. Wow. Thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Yeah, I heard I heard your intro about the teacher in Houston, and man, I just send in send in all our love and prayers that way. It's been I've been glued to the news like the most of the country, and I've got I've done so much work across Texas and made so many amazing teacher friends. So just yeah. one more shout out to all of you and all my friends in Texas. Hope yeah, hope things are starting to go your way. It's so funny once you know someone there, right? Like as soon as you know somebody, it's like it becomes personal and it means so much more that kind of, the, it's not just the news that's going on, but it's like, oh, these are my friends. These are people that I know that are there. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's really true. So, um, well, I know she was even excited about you being on this evening. Oh, so, good, uh, excellent. So hopefully she catches the rebroadcast. But um, Alex, could you, for people, I mean, I did, I did an intro, but like for people that don't know who you are or like, or like what grade do you teach? Where are you located? That sort of thing. Could you give them a little intro on yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Most of my career, I've been a, a middle school math teacher in Escondido, California, which is in uh, Northeast San Diego. And so I've, uh, like I said, spent many, many years teaching middle school math. Um, and then uh, I am known, as you said, around the world now as the rapid mathematician, but uh I didn't always start out that way. In fact, several years ago, I was a brand new teacher just struggling to survive in my classroom. And I, I couldn't get the students to pay attention. I couldn't get them to remember, you know, the math rules that I had just taught them. But uh, what I realized is a rap song would come out on Monday. And by Tuesday, they seemed to have every single word memorized. And so I began uh, sort of rapping about my lessons. And the first time I tried it, it was an absolute disaster. The students pretty much laughed me out of the room. But later that day, they were actually singing all the songs. And the next day, I think they actually ran into my class with the same amount of energy that they normally ran out of my class with. Yes. Uh, and so we started together with my students creating rap songs and rap music videos that have, you know, I think all together been, you know, almost a million views, I think. They're, they're pretty much all over YouTube and the Internet. Uh, and then in 2009, I got to be the California Teacher of the Year and, and made it to one of the top four, to be one of the top four finalists for National Teacher of the Year. Wow. And so at that point, I got to, you know, really go around and, and represent teachers and, and in many cases speak on behalf of teachers. And I started presenting and, and writing a couple of books, one of them, Owning It, which you mentioned, really excited because that book was uh, named Recommended Reading by the U.S. Department of Education. And then wow. 
more recently uh, teamed up with Chicken Soup for the Soul to put out uh, Inspiration for Teachers. And so that one's only been out a few months, but it's already getting great reviews. And so I'm, I'm really now just really devoted to, to motivating teachers and keeping them motivated, you know, really all year long. Yeah. So let, let's talk about that a little bit. Like, yeah, it came up in, in my PD the other day. Folks were talking about how February is the worst month of the year. And so <laughs> I literally, as someone said that, I wrote down on my notebook, February will be the greatest month of the year. The year. And so um, how in the classroom or like, like amongst maybe this is like, like in school, sometimes like stay motivated all year. Like what are some of your tips that you can give teachers to do? Yeah, that? that that's a great question. And and I mean, we, we kind of all know what happens in February, right? That the newness of school has, uh, has worn off the, the end isn't quite in sight yet, right? You're, it's, it's like you're going, if you're going through a tunnel, you know, it's, it's that part of the tunnel where you've lost the light from the beginning and you can't quite see the light at the end. Uh, and then, you know, you, as they say, you're just hoping the light isn't actually a train coming toward you. But, but, um, but you know, there really are. So first of all, I think it's just, it's important to recognize that, you know, as a teacher, if you find yourself less motivated, you know, often starting in October, maybe November, and then especially in February, first of all, that's okay. It's normal. It doesn't mean that, you know, you're not such a great teacher, or it doesn't mean that you're losing control of your classroom. It, it doesn't mean all the things that we sometimes think that it means. What it often just means is, you know, stopping, recognizing that, you know, teachers across the country are dealing with some of these same emotions, uh, and, and that it's something that will pass and something that will get through, that you'll get through. That being said, you know, there really are three things that I always recommend teachers, you know, for teachers to sort of fight against burnout. The first one is really to, to fall back, whenever you're feeling burnt out, whenever you need some advice, things like that, to fall back on your network. You know, whether it is a show like yours where you can, you know, virtually be online with people who, you know, who are dealing with the same issues or who, who are seeking advice or giving advice, but to really fall back on, on your network of teachers. And it doesn't necessarily need to be teachers, you know, in your, in your school or, or in your building. Adam Grant wrote a great book called Give and Take. And, and really what he says is, he argues is, he shows is that, you know, three decades of research show that the, the most robust antidote to burnout is having a good, solid network of teachers, people that you can go and sit in their class for 20 minutes and watch how they teach, people that you can, you know, go cry or go scream or go yell. But when you surround yourself with people who are, you know, doing their best to stay motive, motivated, you really have no choice but to, to try to continue to be motivated yourself. So surrounding yourself with good teachers, with good educators, and then really tapping into that network, not just sitting in your class by yourself, you know, yeah. praying, praying for June. So that's yeah. the first one. So I, I want to interrupt. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, go for it. I, I just want to underline something. I think especially new teachers can feel so busy or they feel like they're going it alone and they just hold up in their classroom. It's just them and the kids. And it's so important to, to make friends, to go to dinner, to, you know, have lunch with other people. Like that's super, super important. And I, I just didn't want that to go like, like unsaid because I think that you made is really, really important. So I'm sorry. Absolutely. No, no, that's okay. I, 
I can go all day. So, <laughs> so yes, you know, and, and, and that actually leads to it, you know, really another good point. And, and this is one of the things that I write, the suggestions that I give in my book, Owning It, is, you know, if you're a new teacher, I mean, you don't have to be a new teacher, but new teachers especially, you know, very simple. Go to your principal and say, or, you know, go to somebody that you respect on campus and say, hey, you know, who are some of the most effective teachers on this campus? And they'll say a couple of names and just go to those teachers and say, hey, you know, somebody said that, you know, I asked I asked the principal who some of the most effective teachers on this campus are and, and your name was mentioned. Would it be OK if, you know, on my prep period or or at some point I came in and sort of sat in on your classroom for 10 or 15 minutes? Uh, you know, any great teacher is going to say, yeah, absolutely, of course. And then you're going to go and you're going to be amazed. You're going to see absolutely amazing things happening in that classroom or at least things that you're now going to want to talk about it and, and you know take the time discuss what you saw with that teacher glean some of their insights and then say to them hey by the way who would you recommend that i go talk to next and what you're essentially doing is you're starting to build your teacher network within that school but you are building it based on the recommendations of the people who are already really good the truth is really good teachers hang out with really good teachers and the complaining teachers hang out with the complaining teachers. So get yourself get yourself into that network of really good teachers. And then at some, at what some point during the year you realize, you know, I am among this group. And and surrounding yourself with good people, best thing you can do. Second, you know, you you kind of brought this up as as we get you know real busy. But the second thing I always recommend for teachers to stay motivated all year is you've got to learn how to say no. Yep. There is always an opportunity to do something in education. There is always a committee that you'll be asked to join. There's always, you know, a, a, a recess duty that you can fill in for. And there's always, you know, a new project to take on. But really being able to confidently say no, you know, and so to things is really going to actually open things up and, and help you to, to continue on your path and to stay motivated. Yes. Some of the things that I always recommend to, that teachers can say, you know, you can just say, oh, you know what, you know, an offer comes in to join the XYZ committee and you can say, oh, you know what, that sounds really cool. But right now I'm really focusing on, you know, having solid classroom management in my first year or whatever it is that you feel like you're focusing on or you need to focus on and and have things that you know that you're focusing on, which then allows you to say no to other things. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I think also, um, if I was going to add something to that, I would say one is, I, I always tell like teachers that when you're feeling burnt out and you're feeling completely overwhelmed, just find that one kid that day, like the next day that you go into school, someone's going to feel alone. Someone feels like they don't have anyone, that they have no idea, that no one sees them, and just let some kid know that you see them, and yeah. that like giving that will totally like come back to you and then do that for someone else and someone else. And and that could be with a teacher too. So like those new teachers that are in their rooms, like I'll sometimes like, you know, if I'm at the grocery store, I'll pick up like a $4 thing of flowers and like leave it on someone's desk. Or I'll do some, one of the things I do that's kind of weird is I'll replace people's pictures in their rooms with pictures of me. And uh -huh. then because I just think this is hilarious. And what I'm trying to do is like, just shift your everyday, right? So especially as a teacher, a lot of us are so routine that to come in and see something like completely ridiculous, um, it just shifts your day a little bit. And
changes things up for the kids and, and can shift your mood. And I think that also blends into like learning how to take care of yourself. Like absolutely realizing that the work is never done. I can't tell you how many times my wife has asked me, are you finished? Are you done your lesson plans? Are you, are you finished doing work? It's like, it's never done. I could always, always, always do something. So learn kind of shut that off and, and then finding something that's actually like rehabilitating to you, whether it's like taking a run or walking with your dog or playing a game with your kids and that stuff. It seems like you're not doing anything, but you're really, really doing something for yourself. And it helps so much. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And you know, it's what, funny because I remember, I remember my first year of teaching one of the, you know, I, I, I live in Southern California. And so I, I've always grown up doing a lot of surfing. And so one day, uh, one of the teachers walked into my class and he it was about, I think it was actually in February and he walked in, he, he said, Hey, I, I hear you're a surfer. I said, yeah. He said, so am I. He said, uh, Every Thursday, right after school, a few of us just leave everything in our room. We go surfing for a few hours, and then, you know, you, we often finish it up later that night or whatever. Why don't you come join us? And so, you know, I had sort of gotten in this routine of, you know, school ends at 3, then I work, you know, work my tail off until 6 o'clock, then I get a drive through burrito, pound that thing on the way home, work for a little bit more, and then go to bed, wake up, do it all over. And so... This first Thursday, I, I, it was like, it was magical. I remember, you know, we, we, I, we dropped everything. We, we closed up our classrooms. We went surfing for a couple hours. Well, I mean, uh, it, complete perspective change. I went from being totally burned out to being totally re-energized and engaged. And, you know, I was doing it with other colleagues. So, you know, we're sort of joking about certain students or, you know, just sort of the things that you, you talk about when you're teachers and you're, and you're together. And, and so just intentionally taking that time to refresh yourself, to rejuvenate yourself, you know, kind of cliche in the teaching world, but there really is a reason why on the airplane, they say, in case of emergency, you put on your oxygen mask first. It's yeah. because, you know, if you're not breathing, you re really can't help anybody else. And, and you know, what's fascinating also about getting away from, from your classroom and, and doing something that you love to do. What I've always found is, in those moments that you're actually not thinking about it, in those moments that you've actually gotten away from it all, those are when your absolute best teaching ideas just come pouring into your brain. And so it only happens if, you know, you really fill that space. Yeah, absolutely. I think what you're saying also lends itself to the idea of like having that like surfing time on Thursday when you're dragging through Thursday or if like it's particularly difficult, you have something to look forward to. And so yeah, I think totally like, things through the year, like uh, one of the things I'm trying to do this year for my students is put successful people in front of them so that I can, they can, what I want them to do is like see real world examples and not just me talking about in theory, what happened to go to college or how hard it is to start a new business or like what it takes to be successful, but finding folks, um, through the internet that are going to come and talk to my kids. And, yep. and that is really exciting for me too, because it gives me something to look forward to. So if, if February is a drag, I know that February 12th, we're taking a trip out to Brooklyn to go see this artist that I really like, who's worked with everyone. And I, I get to be really excited about yeah. that. Or yeah. last year, um, we took a trip. I took kids for the first time ever. My school went abroad and we went to Costa Rica and that had kids like wow. pumped wow. for months that they were yeah. excited. Yeah. So make it, and it doesn't have to be, I mean, you don't have to go to Costa Rica, but like it could be something 
something little, like every third Friday you go out with your colleagues, but you have something to look forward to, or you have someone coming into school or a project that gets you really, really excited about the year um, and, and excited about what's, what's going on next. Yeah, um, and I think yeah. I think that's huge, you know, and also just also just also there, you know, let's be honest here. There are days when you're dragging yourself into school. There are days when you're driving to work thinking about, you know, did, did I did I choose the right profession or did I, you know, you're thinking about all of the, all of the reasons why you might not want to go to work that day. But but then you pull into that school parking lot and, you know, you see the kids and, you know, maybe you're in your classroom and they start to come in and you realize, you know, who sets the tone here? I set the tone. I'm yeah. the one who determines whether this class is going to be an amazing day in class or just another drab day. I'm the one who sets the tone. And it doesn't mean I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying not to be real or, or to fake it, but I'm saying to realize when you realize that that the way that that class period goes really depends on the person leading the class and the person leading that class is you and just making that decision to, even if you've got to, you know, sort of fake it till you make it a little bit, you yeah. start doing something, you start pretending like you're happy. Suddenly, you know, you're going to, the, the whole mood, your whole mood is going to shift and it's going to set that tone. And that's yeah. really, you know, the, the third idea that I was going to share for really staying motivated all year is that whenever possible, I always encourage teachers to seek out the best possible professional development that they can. You know, we we are a profession where we are constantly teaching other people. So it being taught ourselves new ideas, new techniques, new technologies, new strategies is some of the most important thing is the most one of the most important things that you can do to stay motivated. You know, I I get to go and speak at conferences and do professional developments all over the country. And, and one of my favorite times to do it is, you know, is in February. School districts or, or, you know, schools will bring me in in the middle of February and we call it mid-year motivation. But teachers will come up to me and they'll say, you know, oh, that was exactly what I needed to, you know, to get through the next month or to get through the, new, the next year or, or, or whatever the case may be. But you know, whether you are seeking out professional development you know, by, you know, by being friends with you on Twitter, which is amazing professional development, which is watching shows like this, which is, you know, just doing something different in your department meetings or finding a conference and that's nearby, or you hear about a conference that's nearby, just walk into your principal's office and say, Hey, I'd, I'd really like to go to this conference. Do you think you could, you know, is there, do we have the funding to send me and maybe a couple other of my colleagues, but taking that time to intentionally gain skills get new ideas. And I mean, when you hear an amazing speaker, it really helps you to, to reassert why it is you're going into that classroom every single day. You know, as, as, as the famous Zig Ziglar once said, you know, people say motivation doesn't last, neither does bathing. That's why we recommend it daily. Absolutely. It's, uh, that's, that's really, I've never heard that quote from him before. Um, yeah, I think uh, it's, that is so important in ways that like, I have a book by this, uh, he's a priest that lives in uh, like, what is it? I don't know, some part, uh, what am I thinking of? All right, he lives in Los Angeles, works with gang members. And so he has a, a book, uh, his name's Father Gregory Boyle and he, and he has yeah, yeah, a tattoo. So he talks about like the, 
these individuals that he works with. And one of my favorite thing about him is that he never gives up on anyone. Like you could go to prison, something horrific could happen in your life. You could do the worst thing imaginable, but he still will keep showing up for you and keep trying to like help you and love you for who you are and not for who he wants you to be. And I just love that idea. And so that's one of those go-to books for me that like when I'm not feeling it, I'll spend my prep, you know, 10 minutes reading that kind of like gets me going or, you know, listening to the right song or whatever it is, or like, you know, locking my door and doing a bunch of push-ups so that I can just like amp myself up. That is what's going to push you through the rest of the day. And then you're right. Like that stuff's contagious. So if you're excited, even if you have to fake it in the beginning, what happens is your students get excited. So I don't let anyone go to the bathroom in my class. I go, listen, I literally planned the best lesson of your day today. So it need 10 minutes. If you're not buying it, you can go to the bathroom if you need to, but like, let me see, see what I got first. And so that kind of energy is completely contagious. Then it's contagious to your coworkers as well. When you're in the hallway and you're shaking hands and you're saying what's up to kids and you're high-fiving people, like that is contagious to other people as well. And it's like, it's worth all of your time and energy, even if, and then you don't have to keep faking it because you're going to, you're going to feed off the kids energy also. And, you know, it's like, you're just starting the fire and then you get to like, you know, just yeah. as you're going through your day. Um, yeah, no, I think that's really important. And the, and the other thing to remember, I think is, you know, sometimes as adults, when we stop and have a conversation with a kid, you know, especially in schools like the schools where we, where we work, you know, sometimes when we stop and, and say hi to a kid or have a conversation with a kid, it's the first time an adult has recognized them since they left school the day before or since they left school on Friday. And so, you know, we can never underestimate just the power of, of saying hello to somebody. Before I was a teacher, I actually managed a seafood restaurant in Santa Barbara, California. And, and you know, that the restaurant business is an entire industry built on saying hello to people, recognizing people, you know, serving people. And I was absolutely astonished when I got to education. I I couldn't believe the amount of adults who were just walking by each other, not in every school, but in a lot of schools, they were walking by each other, you know, coffee in hand, head down, not saying hello. And so, you know, when you just stop and say hello to somebody, again, it doesn't even have to be a big, long conversation. What you're saying is, you know, I see you, I recognize you and I'm glad that you're here. And those those looks, those waves, those nods, that can mean the difference between whether a kid feels like somebody wants them there and recognizes them and whether they just feel like they're completely lost in this this culture of their school. Yeah, you're Alex, you're saying all the same I like it's I can't even follow up with anything because I would say the same exact thing. I you know, so many kids fly under the radar. And to just put a hand on someone's shoulder and to say, yo, man, I'm I'm so glad that you're today or like, uh, Hey, I like, you got a new haircut or like, Hey, I like your new shoes or, um, you know, you've been doing a really great job lately. And and for kids that don't want that public announcement, I'll write it on little post-it notes. And while you're walking, when I'm walking around the classroom, just leave leave it on your desk. And then it's probably a great idea. And you don't like put them on, uh, as my students would say, you put them on blast. Uh, other teachers too but but sometimes i love putting people on blast where i'll you know the former owner of the philadelphia 76ers basketball team pat croce once said uh like if someone doesn't respond to a hello you need to give them the sonic boom hello so i i'm 
I'm big on being in the hallway and like yelling down the hallway what's up to someone or like, how you doing today? Or like, yo, I'm so glad you're here. And I teach all boys at my school. So wow. boys are too busy, like trying to be cool that it like, it really right. putting to them that like, what are you, what are you doing? Or driving into school. This is one of my favorite things to do because I'm old and I like to embarrass children. Right. Is I'll drive to school and I'll yell out my window. Like, I'll see you in a couple minutes. Like, I'm super pumped that you're here today. And, and they get into school and they're like, why are you yelling to me in, on the street? Like, I'm trying to be cool. But yeah, I do it because I can tell that they love it also. Like, someone's acknowledging you. They're saying they're happy that you're alive. And for some kids, that is a huge uptick in their day. So, yeah, love it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny that you say that. I, I actually talk about that a lot. I, I call it the honk and wave. Yeah, and, you know, and, and basically, you know, you're, you're stopped, just like you said, you're stopped at that red light. You see it's 730 in the morning. You see one of your students across the street. Yeah. You know, don't miss that opportunity. You know, sometimes it's, you know, beep, beep, hey, I'll, I'll see you soon. Or, you know, sometimes it's even like, you know, yeah. but the, the truth is, you know, especially, you know, in middle school and high school, you know, I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but it's 730 in the morning, you know, you're driving to school, school is that way, you see one of your kids walking that way, like you, you get them, you stop, you get them to turn around and get back to school. I mean, you might just change the trajectory of their entire day. I mean, you might change the trajectory of their entire life, depending on what they were going to do at 730 in the morning, walking away from school. Not, I don't know the research, but I believe nothing good has ever come from a kid walking away from school at 730 in the morning. And so you, just getting them to turn around, just getting them to see you, it's, uh, it means everything. Yeah, it's, that's 100% true. Uh, Want to jump into some questions? Can you want to jump into some questions, Alex? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Okay, cool. So first question is from Monique Hernandez. She says, how do you deal with behavioral students? What are some of your best tips and tricks? So what, what, how do you deal with like, uh, I, don't, I don't know, tricky behavior in students yeah. sometimes? What are some of your go-tos for that? Yeah, so a couple of things. So first of all, one of the, mis one of, I, not a mistake, but one of the things that it took me a real, it took me a while to figure out my first year of teaching was, you know, I was really struggling with, you know, two or three students. And for some reason, I had it in my head that they were only acting that way in my class. And one day I, I was able to go in and observe another class that one of these students was in. And I realized, you know, wow, this, this student is acting exactly the same way in another class. And, you know, this is middle school. I realize it may be different in, in elementary schools and things like that. And, and we'll get to that in a minute. But, but then I, so then at lunch one day, I was asking my team about it. And it turns out that, that this student, she, she was actually really, you know, on task in some of her classes and totally off task in some of her other classes. And so sometimes it's actually before you're, you know, talking to the student, before you're trying out all of these different strategies, sometimes it's just a matter of pull back, you know, go look at their QM file, go ask the counselor, you know, if, if they have any insight on strategies to deal with them, Find, ask some, look up their schedule, ask some of their other teachers, or even ask that student, hey, who are some of the teachers that you respect the most on this campus? And go to those teachers and ask them what their strategies are for that. So really sort of stopping and, and just doing a little bit of research, you know, into that student, maybe their home situation. I mean, 
Sometimes when we learn about the home situations that our students come from, or, you know, we meet their parents on, on back to school night or during parent conferences, you know, you sort of, you, you start taking their behavior less personally and you really start to understand what it is they're going through. Sometimes, you know, kids are just hungry and a kid is acting a different way before lunch because they haven't eaten all morning and they're totally mellow after lunch because they actually got some food in them. So again, it's just, it's taking that time and, uh, you know, and then and, and really sort of put, putting in some time in order to understand that student. That being said, you know, as, as I guess sort of obvious and cliche as it sounds, the number one way to really prevent off-task behaviors or disruptive student behavior is, I think, to really have good, engaging, well-planned lessons. Like when you have good, engaging well-planned lessons, that takes care of probably 80, 85% of all behavior problems, or I should say potential behavior problems in your, in your class. And so really putting the effort in, you know, as, as they say, it's, it's pay now or pay later, or I saw a great billboard, uh, I saw a great billboard when I was driving across South Dakota this summer, there's a big billboard for a gas station and it said, gas now or gas can later. You know, I had a little icon of the guy walking with a gas can. And so every, every minute that you pay off, every minute that you put in with putting in the time to create good lessons and build rapport with students totally pays off later. Now, that's 80, 85%, right? Of course, there are always those, you know, those other kids who are just going to be, you know, really tough, really challenging, often really disruptive. And so I think, first of all, you know, stopping, so, you know, you're, you're trying to teach a lesson and the kid, you know, keeps on talking, right? And you've asked them to be quiet, you know, stopping and asking yourself, okay, do I actually have a plan? Do I have a, you know, a system of, you know, expectations and consequences, something that I've communicated directly so that the student knows clearly, hey, first time you talk, I'm just going to ask you to please stop. That's a verbal warning. Second time you talk, I'm just going to write your name on the board. Remind me that I've already talked to you once. Third time, you know, I'm going to call home or whatever the case may be. But having a well-structured, set, uh, I guess, ladder of, of interventions is going to, first of all, really help. And then, you know, you don't have to get so worked up in, why this, in, in, in how the student's behaving or that you've already talked to them about 10 times. You're just going through your procedures. You're just going through your routines and you know, and, and, and you're just sort of following the protocol that you said. So that's going to make the rest of your class so much easier to manage because again, students acting up or being disruptive, you're just going through whatever it is. And sometimes you've got to work with, you know, your principal or whatever your school's pol discipline policy is to kind of create that. Um, and then, you know, one of the things that I've really learned is a lot of times with, with those really disruptive students, the, the real issue behind the behavior is they just aren't really sure what they're supposed to be doing at that moment. They don't, they're just not sure, you know, they, they don't have the social awareness and they're just not sure exactly what they're supposed to be doing. And, you know, the truth is no adult, no student, no adult, nobody likes to, to feel stupid or to be made to feel stupid. And so it's, it's when we don't understand what's going on, we don't know what's going on in class, that's when so many kids have that tendency to, to act up. And so really just taking the time and seeing, okay, 
if a student's acting up, you know, maybe they just don't understand what they're supposed to be doing at this moment. And so really identifying what that is and then sometimes explaining that to them can make all the difference in the world. Of course, if you've got the, you know, the super extreme case, you know, I've, I've called parents, but I've, I've showed up at houses before because, you know, it, you, you show up at a student's house just to say, hey, you know, I, I know you had a really rough day today. I just want to check with your mom, make sure everything was okay. Maybe that student's not going to change their behavior right away. But over time, you know, that behavior I truly believe is going to shift because they're seeing that you're making the effort. So many students, they just want to see that you're in. They just want to see that you're all in and committed to them and that you're not going to, you know, scream and yell at them or rat them out or kick them out of class. You know, they've had plenty of people bail on them throughout their lives and they just want to see that, that you're in, that you're committed. And, you know, and, and I know, I know it is so hard. I mean, there are, there are times when you see that student and you, and you know, you think to yourself, dude, aren't you ever absent? You know, yeah. <laughs> it's okay to think that, but, but to just, to start to own that and, and to really sort of think of it as, Hey, this is a year long class and, and I'm all in for your well being all year long. Yeah. I, yeah. you know, I, you that's, know, that's, I'm, I'm hearing myself. I'm hearing. Always. I think that's so important because a couple of things that you said, one, the great lessons I think are, are key and not enough people think of those or you get, uh, you can get sort of like, um, I don't know, you can kind of lose your wind a little bit if the kids don't yeah. seem really excited in what you're doing. But a lot of times kids aren't going to let you know that they're excited. I mean, you get an all boys school, you like the, the look I get all the time is this and, but you'll find out out later like a kid will play out say that was that was dope today and i'm like yeah well, right. your your face was saying all kinds of other stuff right now but uh and i think that's really important i also think that having a great lesson but having it start like at the bell like the kids know yeah. exactly what to do when they come in and not having that even 30 second lag in the beginning of class because we all know as teachers, like if you've ever had two minutes left at the end of class and you didn't know what to do, that can feel like two years. Yeah. You're just like, it's like sitting on hot coals all of a sudden. You're like, oh my gosh, what am I supposed to do? So, and I, you know, my other kind of big thing is building relationships with students. If someone is, is consistently having their head down in your class, they're completely uninterested, like pulling that kid aside and saying, what, what's going on? Or am I something that's off putting to you? Like maybe I upset you. Maybe I did something that made you like want to become disengaged. And you know, one of my favorite stories of the last like, two years we'll say is I had a student a couple of years ago, head down every single day, would just draw on his notebook, would ne wouldn't even look at me when I spoke to him. And so I gave him detention and he had detention for a week and his detention was to eat lunch with me every single day. And and every wow. day of that week, my wife packed him a brown bag lunch, wrote his name on the front of it, and wrote a little note in it saying that, like, I don't know, I guess, I hope you had the best day. And all I did was ask him about himself. I didn't talk about him not doing work. I didn't talk about school at all. Yo, what kind of video games do you like? Or um, do you like drawing? Or what's your favorite movie, that the last movie that you saw? And then and that kind of stuff just shows kids, like you said, you're buying that you're that you actually like I care enough that I'm giving up every lunch of this week 
and I'm bringing yeah. you something to just talk about you. This has nothing to do with me, but secretly it's like, I'm, what I'm trying to do is win you over so that you'll buy in to what's going on here. And a lot of times those yeah. little conversations will lend themselves to someone going, you know what, it's just tough because like my dad's not around or, right. you know, you know, someone passed away or, or I have to keep moving or I didn't really want to come to the school. I mean, I don't know one boy in the world that wants to go to an all boys school. Like my guys come from, <laughs> but you know, you have to wear a uniform. You're at all yeah. boys school. There's rules. It's like on paper, it's the worst place you can imagine being. And so let's, you know, I think so many times, I, and I know this because I just remember being a kid when you're 14 and 15 years old, everyone's not asking your opinion all the time. You're, right. you're still, you're in that limbo place of like, am I a kid or am I getting older? And once you start asking kids their opinions, seeing what they think, that can mean a lot. Yeah. And, and I'm like, kids come from wonderful homes and their parents talk to them a lot. But, you know, it's worth it's worth the the effort to just put that into a kid, see what comes out of it and, you know, you can be really surprised because that student that I had that particular issue with that ate lunch with me has eaten lunch with me every single day since then. Wow. And now yeah. I have about 30 kids that, that eat lunch with me in my room. They just bring their lunches in. They have like, they can have quiet time if they want, or they can like eat a part as a part of our group. And like, we either talk about, I don't know, Game of Thrones or Walking Dead or whatever TV show yeah. they're interested in or whatever movie came out. And so... And then I end up watching all of these movies that I did not want yeah. to see. Otherwise, I'm, I'm not interested in the Flash show. I can't get into it, but I watch stuff <laughs> like that anyway, just because the kids are stoked about it. So yeah, I, well, I, and I was going to say what, what's what there's you know also what what can to transition that into being a highly effective teacher too. You know, you take you you're a good teacher is you know you're you're paying attention to whatever the kids are talking about. But then you're sort of weaving that you're weaving that into your lessons, you know, the very next day. And so, you know, I always say, you know, we got to stop trying to take the curriculum and forcing it into the students' lives, and instead take the students' lives and see where it fits into the curriculum. So, you know, you start that class off by talking about The Walking Dead or whatever it is that they're interested in, and then you know, somehow relating that to the history lesson or the science lesson or the math lesson or whatever the case may be, you know, and, and then taking that and then moving that into the academic content that they need to know. Again, stop always taking the curriculum and forcing it into their life. Take their life and say, okay, where can this fit into the curriculum? And, and again, yeah. that's, you know, there are, there are happy teachers and there are highly effective teachers. And, and the ones who, who make it through the year, the ones who, you know, really have a successful career, they're, they're the people who are highly effective and, and love what they do. Yeah, 100%. Um, next question is, Gooday South America asks, sure, how does your community in which you teach and live have an effect on your quality of life? How easy or hard is it to switch those things up if they're not working for you? So how does your community in which in where you teach and live have an effect on your quality of life? I mean, you live in Southern California, so I, right. I would imagine my own answer, but uh, how, how does that affect your, your quality of life? Say, tell me the main part of the question one more time. You cut out just a little bit there. So, how does the community in which you can live affect your quality of life? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So there are, you know, 
There really are two, I've found, you know, kinds of teachers. There are the teachers who love to live in the community where they teach. They love seeing students all the time. They love, you know, bumping into them at Walmart or at the gym, things like that. And then there are the teachers who, you know, really like to live, you know, not necessarily totally far away from, from yeah. where they teach. But there are the, stu- the teachers who don't like to live, I guess, entrenched in the community. And, and I really think both are fine. You know, it's, it really is whatever prefer- preference that you want. I, I do, however, think that there is a bit of a disconnect sometimes with teachers and students in the communities in which the schools are, because what we often what we often have are not often. Well, what, what we sometimes have are teachers who will, you know, and my, this is, you know, I did this for years. You know, you, you sort of you live in a fairly affluent, well-educated community and you drive in to the school community where you teach and you teach these students and then you drive out at the end of the day. And so even though you're there all day and you're working with these students, you're not actually that aware of the surrounding area and the culture. You, you understand the culture of the school, but you don't necessarily understand the greater culture of the surrounding community. And so what I always encourage teachers to do sometimes is, you know, sometimes it can be little tiny things like take a different way home, you know, make a, make a left turn and drive through the neighborhood, you know, every few days or a different neighborhood on your way to the freeway, than you know, then, then just always following the same route home, things like that. And, so, but actually, you know, sometimes, you know, your kid, one of your students has a soccer game and the soccer game is across town and, and they invite you or you hear about it and, you know, going to that and sitting with the parents and, and sort of allowing yourself to be absorbed into the culture of the neighborhood. You know, if you live in a neighborhood with a lot of, or if you teach in a neighborhood with a lot of immigrants, you know, you know, refugees or, or even just a different economic status or whatever the case may be, but, but allowing yourself to kind of be absorbed into that culture a little bit and just to kind of break yourself from this sort of drive in, drive out, uh, sort of routine that you're in. That's a big one. Um, and then, you know, if, if you are the kind of teacher, I've, I've got a good friend of mine, Martin, he loves, he loves, working out of the gym and he sees his former students. He loves, you know, he, he loves bumping into them in the store. He, he sort of loves that. And then he, he talks to them and he's completely sort of totally intertwined in, in their lives, not just the year that he's teaching them, but in all of the years to come. And, and so whatever, whatever it is for you, some, some teachers don't have a choice. They live where they live. They get a job where they, they, you know, they take a job where, because they have an opportunity to take a job. Um, but again, realizing, I think that school culture is often different from commu- the community culture, and that just because the kids go to school there, don't doesn't necessarily mean that that's how they are outside in their community. Yeah. That being said, in terms of quality of life, I mean, yeah, if, if <laughs> of course, if you can live somewhere that you love, I mean, if you can live somewhere that you love then that's going to help your disposition, your attitude, your quality of life. And if you can learn to love wherever it is that you're living by seeking out good people and, you know, the, the good restaurants or the parks or whatever, whatever that city has to offer, sometimes we don't get to choose. But if, you know, if, if you can find all of the, the great qualities about a, a place and really learn to enjoy them, 
of course, that's going to have, you know, both a, a small as well as an overall holistic, uh, I guess, effect on, you know, how you teach every single day. Yeah, I, th I think to, to that point, making the best, learning to make the best out of, out of your situation is huge, huge and single ways to do, do that. Like, even if you're, so my school is in a very, it can be a very violent, was my son, uh, in a very violent neighborhood. And there can be, I mean, the stories that just come back to school with students are uh, very, very different from the kind of community that I, that I grew up in. And to, to kind of counteract that, because, a lot, you know, when you are around kind of like darkness or you hear these, like these really just awful tales over and over again, you have to create a community that's positive or uplifting. And so sort of back to what you said earlier is I surround myself with teachers that love what they do every day and that we can be honest with one another, be vulnerable with one another. We can... Um, be silly with one another and building that community inside your school totally counteracts all of those things that are going on around you. So even if something awful did happen, you have someone to share it with. You have someone that's going to, you know, maybe give you a little bit of motivation or advice when you need it, at least to just listen to you when something's going on. And that can have a huge effect on where it is that you're, you're teaching, very tough school. And even for teachers that feel like their administration's not very good or their school doesn't run very well, like you can go ahead and create that kind of world, world <clears throat> excuse me, that's going to help you stay motivated during the year, help you stay excited because, you know, you're, you have your people that you're with every day. Yeah. And that becomes something getting to invite new people into also. So if a new teacher comes along, and they, you see them, like struggling. Yo, we have this great. Th we all eat lunch on this period every day. It's the best. Like you should totally be a part of what we're doing, and that that's going to help them have a longer life as a teacher as well. So yeah, yeah. No, and um, the truth is, that the the culture of a school really is is formed and then reinforced. You know, one conversation at a time. And so if, you, if yes. you're there deciding what kind of conversations, if you are, you know, what do they call it? They, they, they call it the energy test, right? So anytime you yeah. or somebody, anytime somebody walks into a room, you very simply, you know, think of it as the energy test. When, when somebody walks into a room, are they the kind of person where lots of energy comes into the room or are they the kind of person where all of the energy yeah. is sucked out of the room? Very simple. If, if they're the person who, where, you know, the room lights up when they walk in, that's probably somebody that you want to have in your network. If they're the kind of person where, you know, all the energy is sucked out of the room, then, you know, <laughs> consider not having them as a part of your network. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Smoffit is asking, if you are a grade chair, how do you keep your teams motivated when everyone else is already stressed out about data collection on top of seeing up beginning of the year routines? So, Ooh, yeah, that's a, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Like, what what would be your motive, or how would you keep those folks aided, or or help them out? Yeah. So, so, so it, the question that I think I heard was, if you're like the, if you're grade level, if you're your grade level chair or any department chair, you know, how do you kind of keep your team motivated all year long? Is that especially is that right in the beginning of the year when you're feeling like there's all this stuff piled on top of you? Um, aside from you know, you'd rather be doing 
doing like planning lessons, getting your room together. So what, what would you do in that situation? Yeah, you know, I think that really, I think that this is more than anything else, a, a question of leadership. And, you know, we leadership, hopefully we can all agree, you know, has nothing to do with level or position or rank or title or anything like that. Leadership really happens at every single level. And, and being the department chair, being, you know, your grade level chair, that's for many teachers who become teacher leaders, that's sort of the first step because you realize, oh my gosh, all of a sudden part of my job is no longer just leading this classroom full of teachers, but also, you know, I'm sorry, not, I'm not just leading this classroom full of students, but leading this sort of room full of teachers or this, this team of teachers. And so I think that there are a few things. First of all, again, it, it, it begins with, as the leader, it begins with your attitude and your determination uh, to, you know, to, to bring, you know, to, to be a positive contributor, to bring positivity and, and good energy into every single meeting. But then the other thing that I think a lot of uh, that we sometimes miss when we assign people to be department chairs or whatever the case may be, you know, so, some people become department chairs because it's very prestigious. They work very hard and, you know, and and everybody wants them to, to lead the department. Some people become department chairs because nobody else wants to do it. So they throw it on the new guy or, or you know, the, yeah. the new woman or whatever. Uh, but actually taking some time and learning about how to properly structure a meeting when you when you um, when you come to a meeting as the department chair and you run a really good meeting, it may take a few times to kind of get that structure down. But when you run a really good meeting, that is the first of all, one of the best things that you can possibly do when you have a good solid agenda that you stick to when you have some good processes in place when you really run a good meeting you know that starts on time it ends on time that helps people first of all tremendously because they don't they don't you know when you can get people to the point where they no longer dread going to meetings or as they call it death by meeting when you get them to the point where they actually they understand why they're going to be there and you know, and and what sort of the goal of the meeting is that makes all the difference in the world. And so I always recommend to people uh, to always ask two questions. Two questions at the beginning and the end. There's one question at the beginning, one question at the end of every single meeting. And so the first question that anybody in the meeting should be able to answer or should ask, and then we should be able to answer is, why are we here? Yeah. Understanding why we've all gathered here today is one of is the, really the most important thing. And so, you know, even if you're the department chair and you you're, you've got your meeting and you say, "Okay, I want to tell you why we're here today." And and everybody should be able to understand what they're doing there. And then the quest the second question, the question that should always be asked at the end of every meeting is, "Okay, so what's the plan going forward?" When we ask, "What is the plan going forward?" First of all, everybody understands, "Okay, we use this time to come up with a plan that's going forward. So this was time that was well spent. And when everybody understands the plan going forward, they can then take the next steps. It's not just, okay, go back to my classroom, throw my meeting notes on the table and get back to doing what I was always doing. But understanding yeah. the plan, and sometimes the plan going forward is, everybody think about this, we're gonna meet again next week, and we're gonna really get, you know, get some ideas down that we can implement. Sometimes the plan is, you know, breaking it up and, and everybody having a different task that they need to complete. Whatever the case may be, when everybody understands the plan going forward, it's much easier to, to not spend your time, you know, complaining, being tired, 
being burned out because you realize you're part of the mission that's happening and this thing is moving forward. And you know what? I got to tell you, if all else, if all else fails, you know, bring a plate of food in, bring something kind of cool in, you know, show the, show the funny video, you know, YouTube video, the two minute video that you just saw, you know, treat it like a, treat it like you would treat it your classroom where you want all of the members to be engaged. So, you know, bring, bring some bagels, bring some donuts, you know, whatever the case may be, break it up a little bit and, and try having some fun. I, I think that also like planning a meeting like that shows that you care. It's showing that yep. one, like when you have a well-planned meeting, respecting everyone's time that, you know, cause I've been, I mean, we've all been in those meetings that have gone on way too long that you're like looking at your, and now I'm going to wonder who's picking up my kids from school running too long for, you know, so what, what I'll do, what I would say for those meetings also is like creating an out for people. So like, like all right, we're done. If anyone wants to keep talking about this, if you care to, to if we missed something that you, or you want to go back to something like here's everyone's out, you can go if you wish, cause we're done and, and you know, the plan going forward. But if someone's having a particularly hard time, like building in that time to, to take, uh, and, and really listen to them. And, and I think going on with that is this idea of like letting folks know that you care that like, if you're having a hard time with this, or if this new policy doesn't fit who you are, you, you're not sure how to implement it. Like, all right, well, let's take the time and talk about that. Cause you know, I am, you know, the department chair or the grade level chair. And, and I, I seriously want you to succeed. And, I, and this goes for students also like reminding kids, like, I want more than anything for you to do well. When you do well, everyone else does well. Too. And yeah. so putting in that time to really listen to folks and their concerns and helping them with whatever you can help them with is a really, really great way to lead. Yeah, one of my one of my favorite things to do at the beginning of a meeting, too, is I'll just throw this in, is to just say, hey, you know, before we start this meeting, really quickly, let's just go around. Everybody just share the biggest challenge that you're, you're struggling with right now, you know, in your classroom. And, and just to... To kind of listen and you know everybody has you know just 30 seconds to to go around but just getting on that same page that which is you know hey why are we here you know we're, we're here to do good work we're here to to be a collaborative team and and we're here to you know improve the lives of our students or you know whatever whatever reason that it is that we all wake up in the morning and to just kind of go around and 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 to just share and, and listen to each other it's it's really huge and it takes you know a minute or two at the beginning of a meeting yeah, yeah, it takes no time and it can mean everything. Uh, Naturally, Miani is asking, what are your thoughts on restorative justice? Do you think that we've gotten too lenient on the youth? Some teachers have told me that many days they don't get to academics because of behavior. Uh, take on that. Like, how do you handle discipline in your class and, and does it take up too much time uh, ever? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. You know, I actually do talk a lot these days, especially when I'm speaking at conferences and things like that about social emotional learning, which is, you know, to some extent sort of the new big buzzword in education, but also something that's really important that, you know, that, that kids really need to know about. Um, And especially, you know, with, with restorative justice to get back to your original question, here's, here's what I found. Some schools do it really, really well, and some schools don't. And some teachers do it really, really well, and some teachers don't. And so, uh, you know, I, I'm, I don't think that I'm in a position to 
I don't think anyone's really in a position to say, you know, yeah, restorative justice works or it doesn't work. The, the truth is it's, it's like anything else. When it is implemented really well, then things go a whole lot better. And when it's sort of lazily implemented and it's, it's treated or it's, it's, it's sort of branded by the teacher of the school as something that, oh, we have to do this now, then, you know, it doesn't go really well. And so when kids understand the why behind it, when they understand why that is a part of, you know, but either your discipline policy or your procedures, things like that, um, and then things go a whole lot better. And I think, though, as a teacher, it really is, it's, it's finding that balance and, and having to make that decision on, okay, how much time do I spend on, you know, having kids discuss their conflict at the peace table and coming up with a solution versus how much time do I really spend on, you know, some of the harder academics and things like that. And so it's, it's really sort of finding that balance. And, and sometimes that balance is different every single day, but it's, it's you're, you know, as, as teachers, we're constantly having to gauge how much time do I spend on this? How much time do I spend on this? You know, what, how can I get maximum impact on this, on that? What can I cut out? Things like that. And so, you know, I, I think that it really just comes on more of a teacher by teacher basis. And if, if you're a teacher who truly believes in the power of, you know, restorative justice, who, who has been successful with that, who, who needs to try something new, so this is something that you're trying, um, then, you know, throw yourself into that. If you're more of a teacher who, you know, is more of a top-down sort of traditional discipline, but that works and it creates a positive, effective environment, then, you know, you've got to play on that strength as well. Um, but I also think, you know, sometimes you got to stretch yourself. You got to be willing to learn a, a new technique or a new philosophy, things like that. You can't say, hey, you know, I've I've used I, I've used this discipline discipline plan for the last ten years, and you know, it's there's never been a problem. Why should I change it now? You know, to kind of avoid having that sort of attitude and to always be willing to consider new things, especially, you know, today's today's students are much different than the students of five years ago. And they're, those are much different than the students from five years or before that. And they'll be much different than the students five years from now. And so being able to stay up on different techniques, on, on different philosophies of teaching and, and understanding, especially as our student population becomes much more diverse, you know, racially, economically. Um, I think it's a really, really good idea to at least understand a, a lot of the core principles behind, you know, behind. Yeah, I, you know, one of the things I tell new teachers, and this this goes right into what kind of you were saying, is don't don't ever come into my class and see what I do and then try to like completely emulate that because what works for me may not work for you. Like even, so I am, I love the idea of like, uh, of restorative justice in the classroom. I, I like talking to kids about what happened. I liked seeing like the reasons why they happened or how we could work differently or how I might work differently with the students in that class. But I think, you know, I also do, I have a bunch of like kind of crazy ideas that I do that I tell folks like, don't do this with kids. Um, right. Like if I am going to, you know, I have uh, like, so if I have this thing that if kids fall asleep in my class, I have a tiny water pistol and I'll shoot your leg with it. And that wakes you up. And I know that works for me. It's never backfired on me, but I would never tell, this is what you should do to kids because that could totally backfire on you and you lose your job or get punched in the face. I don't know. But, or when I'll, uh, 
I use humor for a lot of things in class. But if you're if you're not naturally funny or if that doesn't come natural for you, you shouldn't do it. Just the same way as like when I started teaching, I was just never very good at uh, at not smiling or not using in class. It, that was a stretch for me. And I started finding that when I let my personality out a little bit or I found those things that came naturally for me, that worked for me. Building relationships yeah. with students comes very, very naturally for me, but it doesn't for everyone. And I know tons of teachers that I really admire that are not interested in building relationships. Like for them, they can put their foot down or they can give like, you know, that mom stare to kids and for them in an instant, but that's what works for them. And I think that it takes time. I think, you know, a lot of times we spend so much time in like the best way to teach kids, but we don't spend enough time like looking at ourselves and figuring out what's the best way that I can be a teacher and not just like learning a certain, you know, new program or something like that. But like, who are you? What works best for you in the classroom? That can really benefit the kids more than, more than anything. Um, yeah. And I know we're getting, we're getting long on time here, but so I'll, I'll close with this, you know, just a, along that line, but I've, I've got a poster up in my room and it's, it's just a, it's just a way for kids to format their math papers. You know, they've got to write their name, got to write this left and circle their numbers, circle their final answers. And, you know, it's just a, a way to keep their work neat. But, but at the top of the poster, I put Kajitani style. And so, you know, it, it really is just a way for them to format their homework papers. But when I'm walking around checking homework, I can say, you know, hey, you know, did you circle? I don't have to say, hey, how come you didn't circle your final answer? I just say, is that Kajitani style? And, you know, they say no, and they have to fix it. But what happens is Kajitani style starts to become something much more than just how you format your homework paper. It becomes a part of the culture of the classroom. And so when I walk in with a new haircut, the kids go, hey, nice haircut. That's a Kajitani cut right there. And and what happens is the kids start to form their own style. And, you know, a loud and rambunctious student like Myra, we just get to call that Myra style. Or a quiet and shy kid like Victor, we get to, you know, celebrate that as Victor's style. And, and all of the weird and awkward things that our students walk in thinking about themselves, let's be honest, all of the weird and awkward things that we as adults often walk in thinking about ourselves, instead it, we just get to celebrate that as our style. And, you know, when, when I first started rapping, I thought I had to be like, like Snoop Dogg or Dr. Dre, and you know, I'm, I'm still hopeful, but I had to, I had to be that weird and wacky math teacher who was willing to kind of get up and rap. And and it's not about rapping, you know, it, it's just about taking the things that the kids love and the things that you love and allowing that to be a part of your style. And every great teacher, every effective teacher, every happy teacher will tell you that they are just, you know, an amalgamation of all of these little things that they've seen over their life that have made them the teacher that they are. And so whatever that is, you know, your strengths, your weaknesses, your insecurities, just let that be part of your own style and, and go forth and, and just, you know, be proud of that and, and rock your own style in the classroom and, and then share that with others so they can start to form their own style. Yeah, I think that's that's brilliant. That's a that's a really good place to end. Also, that's a really that's a good, good send off point. Uh, I will. Um, so, Alex, uh, could you tell people where on social they could find you if they're looking to find out more stuff about you? Where, where can they go? 
Yeah, absolutely. Please feel free to send me a friend request um, on Facebook if you'd like. Um, it's just Alex Kajitani. It's Alex, K-A-J-I-T-A-N-I. Um, love to post different things, keep teachers motivated all year long. On Twitter, I'm at Alex Kajitani. Um, I also uh, am really excited because we just launched the first of its kind uh, online times tables training program. And so I'm, I'm, on a, I'm on a new mission to get every, every kid to master their times tables because I think it would be a real game changer. And so if you know a kid who needs to master their times tables or you're looking for it for your class, please check out multiplicationnation.com. Be sure to put the .com at the end. Don't just you know Google multiplication nation, but multiplicationnation.com. And then my own personal website, alexkajitani.com, filled with resources. You can check out all of my books I got, you know, videos on the blog and, and a link to my YouTube channel and things like that. And, um, you know, if I can help in any way, I, you know, please email me through the website. I answer every email that's intentionally sent to me. And, and I love coming on shows like this. So thank you so much for the work that you're doing every single day. And everybody who's out there listening and, and who's joined in, just uh, keep on rocking it, Kajitani style. That's it. Thanks, Alex. I really, really appreciate right. it. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everybody. Have a great night. Bye-bye. And that's it for this week, gang. Look, if you ever want to have your question answered on Sunday Night Teacher Talk, all you have to do is show up at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on my YouTube channel, Real Rap with Reynolds, and I'd be happy to answer any question that you put out there. Nothing is off the table. Thanks so much for your support. We really, really appreciate it, and I hope you have a great week. Peace.